Hello and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. Diabetes affects more than 400 million people worldwide. The consequences over time can range from kidney failure to increased risk of heart attacks and strokes. Gluco is a diabetes management platform dedicated to improving health outcomes for people with the disease. To find out how they're doing that, I'm joined by Gluco's Jeff Chang and Vikram Singh. Welcome to What's Next. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here. So to start, tell us what Gluco is and what you do. At the heart of what we do, Gluco is a diabetes management platform. People with diabetes generally have to do several things. They have to watch what they eat. They may or may not have to take medication. And generally, they're in some sort of communication with a doctor. And so through the Gluco platform, which consists of a mobile app and a web platform, we want to enable somebody with diabetes who may be tracking this variety of different uh, activities to be able to track that on a digital platform. Before Gluco, I think it's it's important to note that a lot of diabetes tracking used to be you would go to the doctor, your doctor would give you a piece of paper, and you'd log down everything that you've done over a week, including how much you're eating, how much medication you're taking, and importantly, something called your blood glucose, which people with diabetes generally have to measure. So through putting that on a mobile app, um, our hypothesis has been that people can very easily interface with something that's in their pocket and they carry with them all the time. We've also built a variety of methods to download data from the diabetes technology that you might be using. And so by technology, I'm referring to things like your fitness tracker, um, generic things like your fitness tracker, all the way down to specific diabetes technology like your blood glucose meter, and for more advanced users, an insulin pump or a continuous glucose monitor. Once we get all that data in to Gluco, you can then seamlessly share that data with your doctor. And that's sort of our main value proposition. It's that you and your doctor can have this way more educated doctor's visit where you're looking at actual data that makes sense rather than somebody's uh, poorly written handwriting on a piece of paper. Uh, you can have that conversation in, in, the, in the span of you know a couple weeks rather than typically you'll see your doctor every three months. So the idea is that you can much more easily get data into a platform and share that data and review that data and ultimately get to better outcomes uh, through that whole process. And just to give a sense of the problem, when you talk about self-reported data, um, it seems to me that it's probably not very reliable. Do you have data around that that you can share? It's been a common theme within the industry and well-known from clinicians that if you're going to take a logbook, which is what they call the journal that people with diabetes are recording their blood sugar data in, and use that logbook as your source of truth, then more than likely there's going to be several inaccuracies. And so the approach that Gluco has taken from the start is we want to remove those inaccuracies by integrating directly with the blood glucose meters and other diabetes devices. And we don't actually allow for blood glucose data to be manually input to solve that problem for the clinician and for the patient. Yeah, I want to add something here, um, disclose that I actually have type 1 diabetes myself. And the very interesting things about what Vikram is talking about is people who, uh, there's there's a common uh, story among people with diabetes or their endocrinologists, which are kind of the diabetes specialists. People like to fudge their numbers uh, when it comes to having doctor's appointments. I used to do this when I was younger. And there's all sorts of ways you can do it. For instance, you can take a drop of blood, you could add some water to it, and it gets lower. The, the reading actually gets lower. Uh, there's There's a lot of this in the name of sort of trying not to get judged by your doctor. Um, diabetes is a very number-based disease, and so you check your blood glucose, you bring it into clinic, your doctor tells you, are you doing bad, are you doing good? 
there's this three month metric called an HbA1c that tells you are you doing bad are you doing good, and so a lot of people will want to make up numbers around their diabetes, and especially if you're a teenager or a child and your and your parents are. Uh, you know, keeping you accountable. I think there is a uh, motivation to do that. And so, as Vikram said, our, one of our philosophies has been to only take in trusted diabetes devices data from your devices. Gotcha. Maybe we can talk a, a little bit about the scope of the problem. How many people have diabetes? Um, how many people are at risk of it? Um, and you know, how how are those trends changing over time? It's a great question. So globally, uh, over 400 million people have diabetes. Um, of that. About 260 million are diagnosed with diabetes. And to further break that down, there's type 1 and there's type 2 diabetes. Uh, type 1 is, is known to be the more uh, genetically linked one. That's an autoimmune disease. Um, that's one that you get, you're sort of born with it. Or people, it, it's called juvenile diabetes because you're often diagnosed with it at a young age. And then there's type 2 diabetes. And type 2 diabetes tends to be the more obesity-linked, genetically-linked uh, disease where um, you, you might see lifestyle factors influencing diabetes. And so if you look at type 2 prevalence, and specifically in the U.S., um, about 30 million people have diabetes. And so to put that in perspective, 30 million is about uh, 10% of the U.S. population, so 1 in 10. So we've talked a little bit about societal changes or trends in diabetes, but uh, how has the technology changed, or how has monitoring changed over time? So the... Technology, I think in the 1970s when blood glucose meters were invented and for a long time, I think through the early 2000s, that was the sole technology for managing your diabetes along with insulin injections. And the way that that data was used to for a clinician to actually manage a patient's diabetes and for a patient to manage their diabetes was through the logbook. So people are going to be expected to write down on a daily basis what their blood sugar levels were, what are they eating what kind of exercise have they been doing? And then every three months, if they make it to the doctor, that logbook was going to be reviewed. And within a 15-minute time span, there was an expectation that a clinician will be able to process and distill that data and make some educated therapeutic recommendation to the patient. We all know that it's really hard for anyone to record anything for three months straight. And so that uh, remains the same for diabetes. And a clinician, to be able to actually process all that data, uh, was really just a Herculean task that today is still being expected of many clinicians. So what has happened in the last several years and a change that Gluco has been driving is creating software that can enable the clinician and the patient to manage that data. Up until, I'd say, 2010, essentially what what the market looked like was that diabetes device companies had software that would allow the data to be downloaded within a clinic. And so there was many disparate technologies being used by a clinician or by a medical assistant within the clinic. And so the problem that created was that though there is software to get the data from the devices and allow the clinician and the patient to have a conversation, those softwares were hard to use. There was abundant amount of cables to use within the clinic. The medical assistants didn't know how to use the software. And so the result was that even though there's a way to access the data, they weren't doing it. And so the standard of care remained the same, which is you have a diabetes device, you have a logbook, but no one's actually making data-driven decisions. And so over the last eight years, the movement is with cloud-based technology um, has been let's move to well, what glucose and say let's standardize the diabetes device market and have a unified data model. Let's make the data universally accessible to many constituents within the market, the patient, the clinician, and um, 
diabetes advice companies. And let's make sure there's a standardized view that everyone can look at at once. And so essentially what's happened in the last couple of years is now when a patient comes into the clinic, they know that they're going to get a standardized view of the data from their clinician. The clinician knows they're going to be able to look at the same view of the data each time. And so these conversations about how you give therapy recommendations have become much more consistent and easier to have. Right. From a product standpoint focused on aggregating all that data from dozens of devices or hundreds of devices, getting a standardized view, et cetera. How do you get the device manufacturers to play ball since, you know, to your point earlier, like they probably each had their own type of core. They probably each had their own software. They each had their own way of interfacing with whatever software there is. How do you solve that problem? So I think this has been an interesting dynamic over time. In the early days, the industry did not necessarily see the value in data in itself. And so when Gluca went and approached some companies and said, hey, we want to integrate with your diabetes devices, there wasn't a lot of pushback there. They said, okay, here's a small company that is trying to create some cool tech, go for it. And they let us um, sign data license agreements to do that. Our primary philosophy is that we're always going to have a data license agreement with a partner to get that data. We're not going to take any sort of back alley ways of hacking a device and getting the data. Over time, we basically started to capture the market by getting clinicians to say, hey, we want to use Gluco in the clinic. And if your device is not on Gluco's platform, then we're not able to use it as well. And thus, we're not going to actually prescribe it to our patients. And so Though over time, the device companies have now said, okay, we realize the value in the data. Why should we give it to you, Gluco? We've actually been able to establish leverage and say, hey, clinicians all across the country and patients all across the country now want our software. And to play ball in the industry, you need to be able to use Gluco. And thus, we've been able to create some leverage in the space and get diabetes device companies to come to us um, and, and work with our platform. Got it. And so is your primary way of getting patients on the platform through the clinicians and the care providers? I think that's the most natural place for a patient to get information about Gluco. You know, we have a direct-to-patient offering, but I think a, a, a big problem with health and, and health tech um, is that you're going to get your your 1% or 5% of people that are really motivated to download this app and to engage with it. The other 95%, uh, you have trouble getting them through the door and to even look at using an application. And so uh, we have a lot of in-clinic uh, strategies where we want the clinician to be that starting point for a patient to know what Gluco is. And naturally, as Vikram alluded to, a lot of patients go to the clinic and they interface with Gluco maybe not even knowing about it. What happens often is they'll bring in their diabetes devices, so their glucose meters or insulin pumps. They'll hand that to a nurse or a, a staff member there, and the staff member will use Gluco to download that patient data. And then they'll generate a, a PDF report uh, of the patient's data for the doctor, and the doctor will look at that and review with the patient. And so we want that doctor to uh, give the patient a handout and say, hey, your data is available in Gluco. You can go home and create a Gluco account today and look at the exact same thing at home. And I think just to add, uh, it varies country to country based on the incentives for the clinician and the patient. So uh, Gluco has a wide uh, footprint in Europe. And in Europe, clinicians are incentivized to manage the patient regardless of whether the patient is in the clinic or not. And so they're able to say, when the patient comes in, please use Gluco's software and that will facilitate our conversation when you're not here. And there's economic incentives around having those conversations. In the U.S., it's been primarily fee-for-service forever, and there has been some slow 
maybe steady changes towards um, risk-based and outcomes-based care. And so it's been much more of a challenge in the U.S. over the last several years to say, clinician, please onboard a patient onto Gluco because the economic incentives aren't there. But even in the last year, we've seen new CPT codes, as they say, that are going to reimburse clinicians for doing remote monitoring. And so we've built the infrastructure to get patients to be onboarded by clinicians, and we expect that all digital health solutions, including Gluco, are going to see a lot more onboarding in the U.S. Uh, over the next couple of years. Okay. Well, that actually brings up an interesting point, which is who pays? Who's the customer and how do you get compensated for actually providing this platform? Well, Gluco lives in a multi-sided marketplace where there are many economic buyers of diabetes data and services and, and providers. And that includes the clinician, the person with diabetes, the health system, the pharmaceutical company, the insurer, the diabetes device market. And so for Gluco, the challenge is how do we deliver the best care and the best services to a clinician and a patient that have to deal with diabetes in some capacity on a daily basis? And how do we get the rest of the market to subsidize and fund uh, those services? And so there's a variety of different business models that we have explored with varying amounts of success to get the software into clinicians and patients' hands without charging them. Ultimately, the value proposition is that we're going to be able to allow for patients to experience better outcomes. And what that should mean for the market is that there's money to be saved by the insurance companies. Pharma companies are going to be able to prove out real world outcomes and thus they will have better sales, better reputation in the market. And so with that savings, some percentage of that money is going to come to Gluco and and there will be economic benefits to other people within the market. So what kind of data are you collecting and how are you using that to drive better patient outcomes? So when you think about diabetes technology and diabetes devices, one of our goals, as uh, we've talked about, is creating a platform where we can get as much data as possible and really standardize that data and to be able to layer on different types of analysis, different types of decision support onto that data to create value for both the patient and for the clinician. And so that's something as simple as telling somebody um, what time they're in range or telling them uh, it looks like Wednesday is your best day. What do you do differently on Wednesday from the other days of the week that you could be learning from? Um, all the way up to creating a pretty complicated decision support tool we call MIDS or stands for Mobile Insulin Dosing System which is meant to be an insulin titration algorithm. Um, and so in, in simple words, basically what we're doing is we're trying to get a patient to the right doses of insulin for themselves. And so um, we can automate a reminder that the clinician can set for you, and it reminds you every day to check your blood glucose. It reminds you to take your insulin, and it automatically captures that information in the Gluco app. So it's very minimal, um, very minimal uh, investment from you in terms of how much you have to engage with your diabetes. Okay. So you talked about the patient side of things. What do the clinicians get out of this and how does it help them better serve their patients? So I'll start with the in-clinic uh, use case. So a patient comes into the clinic and as I alluded to earlier, previously there was several different softwares that all present similar kinds of statistics. So what was your average blood glucose over a time period? How many low blood glucose sugars did you have? How many highs did you have? But the issue was, one, it was hard to actually get those reports printed. And if you did get them printed, you're looking at six, eight, ten different views of the data, which makes having that conversation hard because there's just switching time and learning the different uh, software. And so from a 
purely workflow standpoint, Gluco has standardized that view so that rather than spending five minutes of the 15-minute appointment trying to get the data in the report and then interpret it, you're spending 30 seconds to a minute doing that, and you have four extra minutes to have the appointment. So it's just added a lot of efficiency to the clinician's workflow when they're managing the patient. And then, of course, as a tech company, we've taken a lot of algorithm-based approaches to then add additional value and go beyond descriptive analytics and say, what can we tell the clinician about the patient's trends and patterns that you're not going to be able to see with a simple average? And so that would be patterns like what times of the day is the patient struggling? Is there any relation to exercise or their insulin regimen that's causing their blood sugar to go up or down? And elucidating those insights for the clinician so they don't have to find that themselves. And so all these innovations are helping facilitate more effective appointments. On the other side of the uh, workflow is the coach that's actually trying to have the remote patient appointment. And so this workflow is, has existed in some capacity in the U.S. As I, as I said, fee-for-service didn't really allow or doesn't really support remote coaching. But in Europe, it's uh, existed for some time. But in any case, the clinician is going to be calling the patient and saying, tell me about how your diabetes is going. Tell me about how your blood sugar looks. And the patient can really say anything at that point. And is that conversation actually effective? And I think our hypothesis was, no, it could be a lot more effective. And so with our mobile solution and our web solution, a patient can use Gluco at home, download their diabetes data, input relevant data points, and then the clinician is going to have a view of the data that they would have if the patient had come in. And so that conversation is all, all of a sudden become a data-driven conversation that's effective. And we've added some population management tools so that the clinician isn't just calling any patient arbitrarily. They can actually rank their patients by risk and say, okay, these are the patients that I think have the most challenges right now. Let me go ahead and call them and make sure that they are getting the help that they need. Okay. And just curious, how is that different from other solutions on the market or what's unique about this? We have an integrated system with a web platform and a mobile app. And as we touched on earlier, the ability to stratify patients based on risk. We really want to enable patients to get the best care as possible by having a coach in real time or having a care team in real time be able to see exactly what the patient is doing. Um, on top of that, we want to enable patients to have the best mobile app experience. And so by interfacing with the mobile app, Patients are able to track what they're doing as seamlessly as possible and share that data with the doctor. And really, it's through that interaction between patient and clinician uh, that we want to drive outcomes. Got it. So a lot of what we've been focused on is managing care patient to patient on an individual basis based on the data that you collect from them. Um, but are there things that you can do with the aggregate data with the entire community that can be used in a research capacity to drive better outcomes for the entire community? Yes, definitely. Within the healthcare industry, I think there's been a lot of buzz about real world outcomes versus study based outcomes that are measuring um, the efficiency and efficacy of healthcare interventions, whether that's a diabetes drug or a diabetes device or other kinds of programs. And so every time Gluco deploys our software, we are getting a population's worth of data that are using all sorts of different healthcare interventions, whether it's a drug or a device or a program. And we're able to then say, okay, which diabetes devices or which drugs or which programs are actually helping the most or which kinds of people benefit most from different kinds of interventions. And we're able to then deliver that value to different constituents in the market and say, hey, here's what you should be doing more of or doing less of. 
and then allowing clinicians, pharmaceutical companies, device companies to make better decisions in terms of how they design their products or services. What's one controversial opinion that you have that's really strongly held? Um, I think humans in general, and, and bear with me, this probably isn't that controversial, but humans in general are really bad at embracing and dealing with very slow change. And so examples are, are climate change, for instance, or in the case of diabetes, it's for somebody that's had diabetes, uh, you really don't see the impacts of it until 30, 40 years later, because on a day to day basis, you're busy, you're, you're busy a with normal life and it, the, the complications don't manifest themselves until, you know, further down the line. And so in, in this particular example, I, I wanted to call out that I think we as a nation are not embracing the right values when it comes to primary care or, or to uh, treating people. Uh, we've talked a lot about how we are fee-for-service in the U.S. specifically. And, and what that means is we incent doctors to perform services on people. And so once you're diagnosed with a disease, you get a battery of blood tests, you get you know, you have to take medication or you do different kinds of uh, examinations. But it really starts with that diagnosis. In a lot of other countries, and, and we are experimenting more with this in the U.S., but not to the extent that we should, we should be focusing a lot more on preventative care. Um, and so that's everything from helping somebody not get obese earlier on, teaching somebody what the correct lifestyle should be uh, to avoid getting obese. Um, and that's that's for diabetes. That's really, really focusing on preventing uh, the onset of diabetes or slowing the onset of diabetes because uh, it costs the U.S. alone $20 billion just in pharmaceutical inventions uh, last year. So if you weren't working on this problem, what other areas of tech would you be interested in or what would you be interested in pursuing? So I'm particularly interested in environmental issues and conservation for me, the oceans is a particularly a passion of mine. There is a company actually that I've been really inspired by over the last year called Sail Drone that is based in Alameda. And what they do is they have these autonomous drones that sail around the oceans and are able to track migratory patterns of fish populations, whale populations, and also track other metrics about the ocean and are able to create value in the data set that they can then help fisheries make more important fishing decisions, help the governments make more informed ocean conservation decisions. And I think it's a really interesting combination of how technology can help conservation and also have a big economic uh, impact and, and incentivize the corporations that right now are exploring the oceans. So cell drone and oceans tech are uh, pretty interesting to me. In diabetes tech specifically, um, there is a very small but dedicated group of people, uh, a couple of groups of people. One is called Night Scout and one is called Loop. And these are basically kind of techies, uh, hackers who have technically hacked into some of the pumps that are on the market to put in what's called an artificial pancreas algorithm. And so that's basically they've built the ability for this pump um, to be able to deliver you insulin automatically based on what your glucose levels are. And, um, you know, very recently a company called Medtronic put out a pump uh, called the 670G that does this very thing. Um, but prior to that, these communities were and, and, and are still are developing very advanced algorithms 
that are able to do the same thing that these companies are doing. The only difference is they don't have to go through the same type of FDA scrutiny. And so it's a group of people developing code, committing nightly uh, builds um, for things that actually deliver insulin into your body. So, you know, there's thousands of people in this community and it's, it's uh, growing strong on Facebook. I think this kind of tech is really important because it pushes diabetes companies to see what people are valuing and to really embrace this change. Um, these people on the forefront of diabetes technology are driving this wave of innovation. And we're slowly seeing device companies adapt to it. But it takes a long time when you have to deal with the FDA. Uh, it's much easier when you're a group of kind of uh, people just doing it on your own. Well, actually, that brings up a, an interesting question, which is, you know, when you operate in a very highly regulated environment, how do you deal with that from a product perspective um, and being able to innovate, but knowing that you have to go through FDA clearance, you have to deal with regulations like HIPAA, that you have to deal with all these other things that, in general, most startups might not have to? First and foremost, I think that Absolutely, it adds overhead for any company trying to innovate in the healthcare space. From a mentality perspective, the company needs to commit to being enthusiastic about working with the FDA. If every step of the way you're saying, why do we have to do this? This is making it take two weeks longer, four weeks longer, months longer. It's just going to diminish morale around across the company. So it needs to be an upfront commitment and our perspective through our years working with the FDA is if we show that we're proactive with working with them, then they give us a lot of proactive guidance about what to do and how to do it. And so rather than us submitting a product and then them rejecting it outright, they say, okay, submit some MVPs of the product. Tell us about what your plans are and we're going to help you design around those plans so that when you do actually make your submissions, there's a much higher likelihood of approval. And so I think this proactive mentality really helps with working in the space. Yeah, you know, one of the mantras of tech is to innovate fast and, and you know, get betas out, see how how people react to it. Some of the things we have to move a little bit slower on, and that's just the nature of working with the FDA. You know, we have to make sure products are fully tested and vetted before they go out to the field. And it's something we kind of learned to embrace. As Vikram said, if, if the company culture was one where, you know, it's like, oh, the FDA is around again or we have to do this again, it wouldn't be healthy. But I think we, we kind of keep in mind that we're doing this really for the safety and protection of people and, and uh, to ensure that our product is always going to be of the highest quality. Yeah. So how will things be different if Gluco becomes ubiquitous or widely adopted within this community? I think we've alluded to this throughout the conversation. There's going to be two major benefits. One is that patients, clinicians are going to have an easier time managing diabetes Patients are going to have better short-term and long-term outcomes, and clinicians are going to have a much better and more effective experience managing the day-to-day -day of their patients' diabetes. And the economics will pan out for everybody. Pharmaceutical companies will be able to prove out real-world outcomes and thus improve their bottom line. Insurers will be able to prevent adverse events for patients, thus prevent hospitalizations, which is a big cost burden. And eventually, as a country will have less diabetes in a healthier population. And it, meanwhile, Gluco will have the data set to, to facilitate research to actually create a cure for diabetes and to facilitate the autonomous closed-loop algorithms that will help people have to do nothing uh, when they're managing their diabetes. For me, it, it means that uh, we've moved away from a place where we question the value of data or where we um, 
you know, don't have data in our day-to-day diabetes management to a place where we as a society have embraced the value of being able to see your own diabetes data when you want to see it and how you want to see it. Um, and that means we've moved away from the conversation of convincing people how much it will benefit them to look at their data to one where it's the norm. It's that you look at your data, you see what we can improve on with your data. Uh, it means that we've moved progressively as a society to, to one where, you know, we sort of, we, we know that this should be the standard for diabetes management. And let's talk about the next thing that we could do with diabetes management. Well, Jeff, Vikram, thanks for being here with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. And thank you for listening to What's Next. I want to thank all of our listeners who tuned in this year. We'll be taking a short break over the holidays, but we'll be back in action with some amazing new guests in January. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time. <laughs>